Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bring the Vegas gaming experience to the palm of your hand. Bet your favorite team, try your luck in a casino, or our poker room. The earliest sports lines and the biggest limits online. Lots of deposit options. Bet on live events as they happen. The next play, the next score. Get winnings fast or roll them into a parlay and win even more. Visit Bet Online today and see what millions of customers have experienced for over 20 years. I want to hear cannons. Tempo mode, dropping to throw, Winston out again, throws to the left, it's intercepted at the 35, outside the numbers to the 40, to the 35, to the 30, to the 25, to the 20, to the 15-10, Mike Edwards, touchdown Tampa Bay, that's the dagger, my friend. This is the big nasty, yeah, big nasty, Hall of Fame, Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan, baby. This is Mike Allstott, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you're listening to the Cannon Fire Podcast. Cannon Fire Podcast, brother, you ain't listening, and you're missing out. and gentlemen to a brand new edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. I am your host as always, Rhett Matthew, joined alongside me, my good buddy and co-host from BoxNation.com, Mr. Evan Wanish, and a very special friend this week back on the show yet again from PewterReport.com, producer and uh, podcast host extraordinaire, Matt Matera. You may know him from the Pewter Report Podcast. Pleasure to have you on the show this week. It's been a minute. How you doing, boys? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for uh, having me back on the show. It's good to be talking to both of you. Glad to have you back. Listen, I uh, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to open up and incite any any beef between you guys. But uh, from what I understand, there was a little bet made a little while ago regarding the fate of a couple MLB teams. Yeah, well, one was the beneficiary of the new MLB rule. I still stand by that the Mets are a better team than the Phillies. The Phillies got lucky getting that last wild card, an 87-win team. But you know what? A bet's a bet. I should have just bet on the regular season. I would have won that easily. But, um, yeah, you know, you won fair and square, even though it was kind of BS. I I had a question for you. What time do the Mets play tonight? Oh yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. I mean, you're running into the same bus so of the Padres, so let's oh, uh, let's see how that series goes. Okay, okay. All right. Well, we are here today to talk about Week Seven's matchup between the three and three Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> and the one and five Carolina Panthers. But before we get to that, I do want to take some time to address a report that came out this week. It's been a lot of speculation about Buccaneers center Ryan Jensen and and what his injury is uh, since the second day of training camp. We really haven't gotten much. Uh, in the sense of updates from the Buccaneers organization. He was never placed on long-term IR, so his season is not over, which leads people to believe maybe there's some hope he can play at the end of the year if he's able to come back. And a report was floated out there this week that the Buccaneers could expect to have him back sooner than they thought, at least that time frame being you know, mid to late November, early December, even later on into the playoffs. Uh, Matt, is there any validity to this report? Todd Bowles didn't really confirm nor deny when asked about it. Uh, some people are saying that this is totally fake news and there should be no reason to expect Jensen back 
and other people are more than excited thinking he's going to be back in the lineup next week. Uh, how are things going to shake out with Ryan Jensen? Did you get any updates there? Right. So Todd Bowles has been pretty tight lipped about it. You know, we asked him this week and he said, yeah, I don't really have too much of an update other than that. He's walking without a brace. So that in itself is a good sign. But, you know, everything that we've heard behind the scenes and other reports as well is that Jensen, the hope and the belief is that, you know, maybe at best he could return later in the season, late December, maybe even January, right around that end of the season. because The season ends on January 8th, if I'm not mistaken, and then hopefully be ready for then and by the playoffs. So, you know, these reports that he's going to be that, and again, we should put in quotations, could. He could be ready by November 6th. That's a couple of weeks from now when they go and play the L.A. Rams. And, you know, Jensen, other than seeing him at a, a couple of games where he's, you know, he's just with the team, you know, he's not out at practice. He's not, you know, he's not even watching practice when when everyone else is out there, including today. So for him to be ready in two weeks, you know, they obviously play the Panthers and they have a Thursday night game against the Ravens and then it's against the Rams. So for him to be ready in two weeks when he's not even practicing yet, you know, it's one thing to get back onto the field coming from a serious knee injury. Now you're going to be moving around 300 pound defensive linemen. I just don't see it. I don't, I just don't think it's really plausible at this point for him to be ready by November 6th. And I really don't think just for, again, from what we've heard that it's not going to be until at minimum middle to late December. Yeah. That was the the thing about the report that kind of threw me off. I, I read the headline Buccaneers, you know, hopeful Ryan Jensen could come back. And I was like, okay, like, are you talking maybe like early December? Maybe that's when they're hopeful. And then I read it said November 6th. I was like, that feels a little close, um, especially for a guy who, like you said, hasn't seemed to be anywhere close to even practicing. And this is a guy who ha- hasn't even played football really in, in almost a year because you got to think, you know, it was the second day of camp that, that, that he got yeah. hurt. And so his last real football was in the divisional round still, basically. So there's going to need to be a ramp up period for him as well. So it's not just going to be like, oh, you know, the week of the Rams game, he's practicing and then he'll play. Like, no, like he's probably going to need two or three weeks of practice leading up to that. So I I would not expect Ryan Jensen to be back. Maybe he's back a week or two earlier than the original diagnosis, which we never really got an official like diagnosis. Yeah, they're still waiting for the swelling (laughs) to go down, according to Tom Bowles. And and I think that's what has a lot of people still hopeful, that you didn't hear of a torn ACL or completely out for the season, because the Buccaneers never really confirmed that. Like you said, they've been pretty tight-lipped on the timeline and how long he could be out, but if he can come back at all this season, you know, it, it could be a pretty big boost to an offensive line that sure could use it right now. I know a big talking point, especially about this offensive line so far this season, is that interior. You know, your center, Robert Hainsey, Luke Gedeke, who is just not grading out very well. Uh, he could obviously use a little bit of assistance. But let's say best case scenario, you know, Ryan Jensen is ready to go before the end of the regular season. Is there incentive for the Buccaneers to Look at that offensive line with Hainsey running the way that he has this season and just kind of plug Jensen back in? Or is it one of those things where it's, you know, you're already this late into the season. Why change what you've got going on? Because Hainsey hasn't been awesome, but he hasn't been God awful either. I think I think I think honestly he gets lumped into the conversation yeah. uh, just because of how poor Gedeke has been so far this year. We haven't really been talking about Robert Hainsey that much. And you know what? That's a good thing when you're not talking about an offensive lineman. That's normally a good thing. 
Now, there is another scenario in a perfect world. The Bucks brass would love to see this, but realistically, I don't know exactly how it would work. But say Jensen, Jensen can come back in enough time, then you can kick Hainsey over to left guard and replace Luke Gedeke. Now, let's remember, going into training camp, that competition for left guard was Gedeke, it was Aaron Stinney before he got hurt, and it was Robert Hainsey as well. But then Ryan Jensen got hurt, and that completely took Hainsey out of the competition there. Now, the flip side of it, that's why I say in a perfect world, all right, you know, you put Jensen back at center, you put Hainsey at left guard. Remember, the Bucks did this two seasons ago when Ali Marpet was out for a game. They brought in A.Q. Shipley. He played center, and Jensen went to guard, and that's when Ronald Jones had that 99-yard touchdown run against the Carolina Panthers. So it all comes full circle because they're playing the Panthers this week. But in reality, it would be tough to ask anyone, let alone Hainsey, who's in his second NFL season. He's having his, you know, about to have his seventh career start. That's a lot to ask him all season long to play center. And I understand you're moving over one spot, but then to all of a sudden play left guard, play a new position, learn the different angles and everything like that. It's a bit of a tall task where I don't know if you really want to mess around with that right in when you're getting into the playoffs and it's win or go home. So in a perfect world, that would be the ideal scenario. I just don't know the validity of it because of the, the, the adjustment of moving to a new position. Yeah. And I think that scenario would really have to depend on how quickly is Jensen ready? You know, if, yeah. if he, if he can come back week 15, even, you know, that puts it around mid-December or so. I mean, that would be earlier than I think many are expecting. But, hey, you know, if they're hopeful, they're hopeful. But if he can come back week 15, you can get Hainsey a, a, a couple of reps. But like you said, you don't want him him th- being thrown in at left guard um, when these games matter the most, right? You don't want him uh, lining up in the wild card round at left guard for the first time this season. So, And also... Again, Jensen hasn't played football for almost an entire year now. So even if he does practice, you know, and ramp up, we don't know what kind of game shape he's going to be in. Like, so that's a risk as well. Now, I mean, if Ryan Jensen's ready to go, I think you have to give it some sort of shot, whether it's Jensen at left guard, whether it's Jensen at center, whatever. He's one of your best offensive linemen. I think if he is truly ready to go by that point, you got to, you know, put your best foot forward. But I, I think at this point, the offensive line shuffling can only go so far, and I agree with you that that is the ideal scenario, I think, for the Bucks because that may have been, if Jensen doesn't get hurt, that may have been the offensive line plan. Like, like, that could have been the offensive line for the entire season. And with the way Hainsey's played, while he hasn't been perfect, he's been much better than Gedeke, and, and maybe the offensive line looks pretty decent at, at this point. And I think you're having a very different conversation about the offensive line. So I think that's an ideal situation, but maybe that's a situation for next season instead of something for this year. We talked a lot about it earlier this week with Sean King on the podcast. And it's really funny when you talk about the context of this offensive line in 2022, like do they pass the eye test? Absolutely not. I think a lot of people can look back and say that there's a lot of things lacking on this offensive line, but statistically, they're still kind of where you'd want to be with Tom Brady as your quarterback. I know a quick release is going to cover a lot of that up, but Brady coming into this week, only nine sacks on the year, which I believe is third least in the NFL. So still statistically a good looking unit, but there's a couple of things that go into that. And Matt, I wanted to get your opinion as we start to dive into the game preview here. What is missing from this offensive line? We talked about the lack of explosiveness, you know, how you're going to miss a guy like, Ryan Jensen and Ali Marped on those those short to gain situations, the 
the third and one, the fourth and one QB sneak where this line just could could not get a push when they needed it. But aside from that, like what else is missing with this offensive line that leaves a lot of people feeling like it's just off this time of year? Well, I think one thing is, yeah, if you take every offensive lineman individually, it looks pretty good outside of Luke Gedeke. Tristan Wirfs is an all-pro. Shaq Mason has made the Pro Bowl before, and many believed he was going to be an upgrade over Alex Kappa. Donovan Smith is a gamer. He has a high pain tolerance, and he gets better and better each season. Like, remember, Donovan Smith used to be ridiculed for his play, and now he's a guy that probably should be getting Pro Bowl uh, consideration over the past couple of years, but he just hasn't. But it's tough when your weakest link is really getting beaten like a drum. And with Luke Gedeke. But I think really the main thing isn't even 100% the offensive line itself. It's that, and sure, we could throw Byron Leftwich into this. It's it's the play calling, and it's the fact that the formations that the Bucks are running in a lot, they have a tell. A lot of times when Co Keith is in the game, yeah. you know that they're running the ball. And on the flip side of that, if Keith isn't in the game, you probably know, okay, they're going to pass it. Another thing, when you stack the box, you know, when you bring in Kate Odden, who is an okay blocker, you know, he's still working and you bring in Fred Johnson as that swing tackle, just another tight end. You're bringing all these players into the box. And so they're just going to stack the line. And then you have more D linemen and linebackers up at the line of scrimmage. than they have blockers. I would love to see the bucks, you know, spread it out a little bit more, force the defense to put either, either take a defensive lineman or a linebacker off the field because they have to bring in, you know, a, another nickel cornerback or another player in the secondary. All Leonard Fournette's done this season is just turn into a Mack truck and just annihilate these, you know, cornerbacks and safeties when he gets to the second level. So I think it's the looks and the formations on offense doesn't give the, the Bucks too much of an advantage. And then again, it goes back to Byron Leftwich. I'm sure you saw the the press conference with Byron Leftwich and at Pewter Report, we highlighted a lot of the plays where, for example, when it was, you know, second and goal from the one yard line and they decided to pull Gedeke and run it to that side as well. So you're giving Cam Hayward a straight shot when you're asking Robert Hainsey to cut block, you know, a long term 11 year veteran when again, Hainsey was just playing a six career game. You're setting them up for failure in that instance. So I think it's, you know, your weak link, Luke Gedeke, really rearing its ugly head. Some of the formations, I'd like to see them spread out a little bit more, open up the uh, the field a little bit, and then just bad play calling by Byron Leftwich. Yeah, one thing you you pointed out with the formations, I mean, there was even some times where one of their tells is they'll have Mike Evans or they'll have Chris Godwin out wide, and then they bring him in closer. And I'm like, oh, it's a run. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, they, they bring him in closer and almost have him like where a tight end would normally be. And I'm like, yeah, like this, this is a run. Like, it's just, they're either going to need, and I, I've, I was even starting to like tally this, like during the Dallas game, the first week, because it was just something that I noticed. I was like, yeah, like every time Keith is in there, it's a run. And like, they're either going to have to get comfortable with using him at some point in the past game to show some different looks and to create some confusion on the defense, or they're just going to have to use him only only for short yardage situations when like it's pretty clear you're running because right now it is like an obvious tell and Keith's just not like he's not there yet as a, like a blocker and stuff to like be that impactful when like oh you know it's gonna be a run but you can't stop it anyway so uh I think there's the tough thing is there's more than one issue with this Bucks offense and the offensive line 
And I think the most frustrating thing is that a lot of it's internal. It's not something that the opponents are doing. It's that what the Bucks are doing to themselves almost. They're almost setting themselves up for failure with some of the first down runs and some of the plays that, you know, uh, Scott Reynolds' Fab Five today really, really hit on it uh, with Byron Left, which is play calling and some of the plays that he had, uh, including that that second and goal where I believe it lost three yards. Yep. Um, and, that, and then the next play was a sack. So, mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean it's it's important, and it just they 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 seem to just they create these roadblocks in their in their way, and they just they can't get by them. So hopefully, eventually they can break through. Um, there's been at points during the Brady era, there's been points where there's been similar roadblocks to this, but none really quite like this one, or I think to the extreme extent of this one, especially in the short yarded situations. I mean, every third and one, you're like, Oh, I don't know if they're going to get this. Like yeah. that shouldn't be that way. Like it, it really shouldn't be that way. And uh, yeah, it's, it's gotta get better. Yeah. We talk about the offensive play calling and I know we look back at the Pittsburgh game. There isn't a whole lot to, you know, to look back at and really like from that game. But something that we saw from the Buccaneers for the first time this season on the offensive side of the ball was a two running back set. We saw formations where Brady was back there with both Rashad White and Leonard Fournette on the field. I know we've established that the Buccaneers are not at any point this season going to establish themselves offensively as a running football team. But I do think you could find some more success with Rashad White working his way into this game plan, starting to get more touches every single week. Uh, do you think that's something the Bucks could look to do here? Maybe mix things up offensively as we get to the second half of the season, uh, Matt? I think they should. I think Rashad White before the Pittsburgh game, the last two games, I thought he looked pretty solid. You go to that Atlanta game. There were a couple of first downs that the Bucs got because it was an intermediate run to Rashad White and then a pass to Rashad White and they got a first down and, you know, vice versa, that type of situation. White is quicker than Leonard Fournette, and I love Lenny. We all love Lenny. He doesn't have the best vision. There are times I would almost rather have Rashad White in that third and short situation where he can convert on it because he's just going to get there. And at first, he was, you know, everyone always says he's very patient and he waits for the play to develop. And that was true, I think, early in the season, you know, when he got his first crack against Dallas. But I think he's learning quickly that you just got to, see the hole and go and, and just keep it going. And I think he can be really effective as a receiver because right now in the Bucks passing game, you have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, even though Byron Leftwich refuses to dial up plays that go to your best receiver with Mike Evans, one target in the second half of that game. And then after that, it's kind of like a third option by committee. You know, Brady will dump it off to Leonard Fournette and Lenny obviously has been great there. But Rashad White can be equally as valuable in that group. And then you, you mix in Kate Otten as well, who is now the, the tight end one with Cam Braid out. But I really can see Rashad White helping in both the passing and running game. And right now they average, it fluctuates from each game. But ever since there was the mea couple of Leonard Fournette cannot play 95% of the snaps because he won't make it to November. Once they actually started playing Rashad White, The snap counts have kind of evened out to around 65% for Leonard Fournette and 35% for Rashad White. I'd like to see that get even a little bit closer because I really like what they have with Rashad White. Yeah, you know, I I do really like what what Rashad White has shown so far. Uh, I think, you know, especially, like you said, in that Atlanta game, like I don't know if they win that Atlanta game uh, without some of Rashad White's. And some of those converges were on third down as well. And uh, both both running backs have been really good in the receiving game so far for the Bucks. And, um, 
you know, Leonard Fournette's gotten a lot of action as a receiver. That's good. But at the same time, that also means that Brady's probably taking a lot of checkdowns. He's trying to get the ball out quicker. And part of that is, again, going back to the offensive line, um, you know, because when the offensive line breaks down, the closest guy to the quarterback's probably the running back just sitting there in the flat. So um, Leonard Fournette, uh, you know, I, I had always said, like, I was worried about Fournette coming into the season, like, receiving-wise, because he was never known as, like, this great receiving back. And last Last year and 2020 really struggled but then last year he had a, a great year receiving you know didn't really drop any passes uh was very consistent with it he was, was third among running backs not yeah. well, but he was third among running backs in the nfl in receptions yeah it, it was it was insane and um i was worried though this season i was like man i really hope that he's able to, to keep this up and so far so good like so far he he definitely has um but you're yeah like you, you're talking about a solution for those third and one those fourth and one because some Something's got to change because um, Leonard Fournette has shown time and time again. Is it all his fault? No, like it's it's not all his fault. There's some if you look, there's somewhere you're like, where is he supposed to go? Like like no running back's gonna get that because the offensive line breaks down. Just like that play that you mentioned on, on the second and goal. There's not many running backs that's going to turn that into a touchdown. Um, so I, I do think that Fournette has to be better. And yeah, I, I would give Rashad White more carries. I think as the season goes along, like especially if the Bucks offense is still struggling a little bit on the ground, I think you'll definitely see more of White as you know as time goes on. As we start to dive into Week 7's game preview, we see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the road for a division matchup against the Carolina Panthers, who are 1-5 right now. The Buccaneers, obviously, 3-3, three and three, looking to kind of get a grasp on the NFC South. I know the Saints came up short on Thursday night football, so that conversation can be laid to rest, but the Falcons are still kind of in it. So the Bucs would definitely like a division win this week to, to maintain a little bit of space there, but... Let's talk about what this Bucs team has to do on the offensive side of the ball, because when you look at these two teams coming into this one, the Bucs obviously in desperate need of a win to kind of, you know, quiet some people down and they're no longer in the den of despair. It feels like at three and three. And then Carolina, I mean, just fully embracing where they are right now. I mean, fire their head coach, just traded away Christian McCaffrey to San Francisco less than 24 hours ago. Sidebar here. Evan, what did you think of the compensation for Christian McCaffrey to San Francisco? I mean, just a couple weeks ago, we were talking about CMC being a guy who's, oh, multiple first-round picks, but they let him go for obviously not that. What I actually thought, I mean, you can ask for whatever. I thought it was even too much. It doesn't make much sense for me for San Francisco. Like, you know, in San Francisco's scheme, they can make any running back look good. And, like, yeah, Christian McCaffrey is, like, one of the best when he's healthy. And, like, that offense, like, with Debo and, and CMC, like imagine some of the stuff Kyle Shanahan could do with that. Um, but yeah, it came as a shocker that San Francisco was the spot. Um, I thought they, they paid a lot for him. I mean, they don't have many, I mean, they still have two third round comp picks expected to have. Um, but other than that, like they don't have many picks for, for this year's draft. And uh, Hey, I mean, it's interesting to go all in on, on a running back though. That, that, that's the interesting thing to me. Yeah, well, Carolina obviously loading up right now, full re rebuild mode. They just dealt out Robbie Anderson earlier this week, who played Thursday night for Arizona. Hearing rumblings that DJ Moore is also on the trade block, so looking to get some compensation for him. But on the defensive side of the ball, there are still some studs, and hopefully those guys don't get traded away. I mean, I think Carolina is going to make a huge mistake if they look to move a guy like Brian Burns at this point. But, um, you know, offensively, what does this Bucks team need to do this week to just – 
kind of get the ball rolling because they have absolutely owned this Panthers team these last two years with Brady in town. And I know it's not a Matt rule scheme anymore. And people have talked about, you know, teams kind of stepping up, playing better football under an interim head coach. Are the Bucs going to have their handful on the offensive side of the ball this week with Carolina, even though they are a one in five team? Carolina's defense, you know, they're, I don't want to say they're exciting, but, you know, they're a young group that has the potential to at least keep them in games when their offense for the rest of the season is going to be inept because they traded away uh, everyone else. Obviously, they're going to look to take advantage of Luke Gedeke. So you see that um, with Derek Brown and and Matt Ioannidis. So you'll you'll see them try to attack there. I really think for the Bucs, man, I mean, you even look at that Steelers game and really the whole season. As as angry and frustrated we get with the Bucks offense and why aren't they doing this and why aren't they doing that? For a lot of it, they've been able to move the ball from their own 20-yard yeah. line to no the issues. opponent's 20-yard yeah. line. That hasn't been the issue. It's getting into the end zone from the 20-yard line and closer. I mean, you can look at, you know, you can look at the the Packers game. You can look at Dallas. They settle for a lot. The Dallas game. The Dallas game, obviously, they won 19 to 3. But that could have been like 27 to three, you know, if they convert some of those field goals into touchdowns. Um, So I for me, it's really one. You have to get Mike Evans the ball. I don't care who I know. J.C. Horn, obviously, up and coming guy. Jackson has a little bit of credibility, but I don't care, dude. It's Mike Evans. You have to make sure he gets the ball. And remember, in years past, like even last year, they went through a phase of like not force feeding Mike Evans and Bruce Arians was like, no, 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 no. Like we have to change this. And then the next week, Mike Evans has that patented monster game. And Todd Bowles talked about this week. He's like, yeah, we've had conversations about getting Mike Evans the ball more. So I would bet on a total receiving arts for Mike Evans. I would hit the over with that. I think they have to force feed Mike Evans and then just, you know, produce in the red zone and obviously be better. Uh, really situational football on offense and defense for the Bucks is the big thing. Convert those short yardage, Win on first down. I think that's another key one. And turn those red zone possessions into touchdowns and not field goals. And as long as they jump out to a lead, excuse me, the Panthers aren't going to be able to get into a track meet with the Bucs. So it's just getting a cut. You don't even have to be 100% in the red zone on those touchdowns. Just get two or three of them, and I think they'll be fine. Yeah, and, and I think you, you mentioned the red zone, and I mean Mike Evans is six five. So how about getting some of those targets? One in fade, the red zone? one fade yeah. for me, one time. <laughs> you know, I think you saw it in Dallas, and that just kind of disappeared, and it worked in Dallas. Like I, I don't understand that was their only touchdown in Dallas. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, when when there's an emphasis on it, you know, you talk about you know force feeding him, and it's it's all about the, like, getting your best players the football. It's what's one of the the best offenses in the NFL do. You know, the the Rams, Cooper Cup. It, He's almost guaranteed to get seven, eight, nine receptions a game. How about Travis Kelsey with the Chiefs? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you think just... people didn't think when Tyreek Hill <laughs> right, went away, right, like, oh, we got to yeah. stop Kelsey? <laughs> yeah, like he's like one of the only guys yet. You know, Kansas City still finds ways to get him the football, um, and he's like the biggest target on that offense now. So yeah, the good offenses find ways to to get their best players the football. And right now, the Bucks aren't a good offense. However, part of the solution can be getting guys like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin the ball. Chris Godwin has played. You know, he's starting to rev it up a little bit more. You're starting to see the old Chris Godwin come back to form. Um, but yeah, Mike Evans, especially yeah, one target in the second half against. 
defense of Steelers secondary that was just decimated by injuries. Uh, that that can't happen. And, and honest, and the Bucks were playing from behind the entire game. So like that can't that can't happen. So I do expect, just like you said, Matt, I expect to see a lot of Mike Evans early and often. And it, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Mike Evans has a has a pretty big day. Even though, just like you mentioned, I agree, the Panthers defense has is what has actually kept them in a lot of these games, or else they would be getting like blown out consistently because their mm-hmm. offense has been so bad. The Panthers defense has actually been a bright spot for them at times this year. Uh, I had seen the point made on Twitter a few times this week, but it's always funny to bring up. You mentioned, you know, Cooper Cup in L.A., Stephon Diggs in Buffalo. There are teams that have a wide receiver one where everybody in the stadium knows that that guy is going to be getting the football. But the fact of the matter is he's athletic enough to go up there and actually get it when you target him. Mike Evans being 6'5", he's in year nine right now. He's still got the physicality to go up there and get the football. The Bucs can more than trust him to go up and make a contested catch every now and again. You just you got to get the ball in the hands of your playmakers, and hopefully they can do that on offense this week as well. We're going to talk about the offensive players on this list before we talk about the other side of the football, but the Buccaneers have ruled out four players for this week's game. Tight end Cameron Bright, defensive tackle Akeem Hicks, wide receiver Julio Jones, and cornerback Sean Murphy bunting for another week in a row. Julio Jones is the only one of those players who gave it a go at practice this week. I believe he practiced on Thursday, uh, didn't practice any of the other days. So when you practice and then you get downgraded to not practicing on Friday, it's not the most positive sign in the world. And Julio Jones going to miss some action here for yet another week in a row. Alongside Julio Jones, we don't really have to talk about Cameron Bray, but I'm sure Akeem Hicks can be lumped into this conversation Matt, do you get the feeling that this free agency class for Tampa Bay has has been a little more than underwhelming so far this year? I know Julio Jones, we want him later on in the year. Akeem Hicks, we want him later on in the year. But, I, I mean, the best ability is availability, and these guys just have not been available. Well, also, real quick, let's not yep. forget uh, L- Logan Ryan. Uh, On the IR. Had, yeah, just had foot surgery. So, you know, I mean, not out for the season, most likely. It sounds like there's a pretty, you know, clear expectation that he should be back, but he's another free signing who is, is out right now. I would have said that Logan Ryan uh, up until getting on the injured reserve uh, going on the injured reserve. Sorry, I should say he was the best free agent signing that the bucks have had. Uh, You know, we had that key force fumble against the saints. He had the interception against the Packers. So by him going on the IR, the best free agent signing for the bucks this off season has been Carl Nassib as a backup outside linebacker. He's done a good job in his role as uh, as a backup outside linebacker. But yeah, you know, you mentioned all the guys that are injured right now with Hicks and Jones. Listen, they took a gamble. Jason Light in the Bucks front office. They took a gamble on a couple of guys that they knew were injury prone. I mean, everyone and their mother knew that Julio Jones has a really bad injury history over the past couple of seasons. But we all think. We all hope that, all right, you could just tap into that one time where he is fully healthy, which is funny because I think like Christian McCaffrey, I know he just got got traded, but it's like the one year he's finally healthy. The Panthers are like the worst team that he's ever been on. Burn it down. So we'll (laughs) see. But, you know, Hicks missed a, a lot of games last season. Julio Jones, we know his injury history. And, you know, they took a gamble. And right now the gamble isn't panning out. I truly don't think Julio Jones is really ever going to get it together and play a significant amount of time. I mean, they've been doing a couple weeks ago. He practiced on a Friday if they're not practicing on Wednesday and Thursday. I said, oh, all right, well, he's practicing on Friday. He should be go- good to go for the game. That was week two. He didn't play in that Saints game. Then he doesn't practice at all. And then he plays in the Kansas City game. 
Then he practices every single day and doesn't play. It's, you know, if you guys watch The Office, it's the Michael Scott, like, snip, snap, snip, snap. Like, either put him on IR or just don't practice him because I'm tired of this, like, will he, won't he play? Now, Todd Bowles will continue to say, you know, we want to we want to make sure he's fully healthy because we want him to play for a significant amount of time. We don't want to rev him up to play one game and then he's out for the next couple of weeks. But that's what he's doing right now. You know, he played in week one and then he played in the game against the Chiefs and he couldn't even make it to halftime. So I say you just sit him down and understand it's a PCL injury. It's a partially torn. So that's an injury that's not going away. Mm-hmm. And he has a bad injury history. So I say just sit him down. It's It's been a disappointment because he's been injured. He was actually like pretty solid in that game against the Cowboys. He just can't stay healthy. That's really what it is. And you mentioned Hicks and Ryan. Just they took a risk on these guys. And, you know, sometimes you get burned with it. And that's kind of what's what's happened with the Bucks. Yeah. You know, the the bigger one um, for, for me uh, is probably Hicks uh, because they had an opportunity to put him on on IR and uh, for him to miss, you know, at four games or whatever. Uh, it was said that, oh, he'll miss a month. Okay. Well, that month is pretty much here. Like it, it's pretty much here, and now you're hearing that oh, the, you know, didn't really respond the way the Bucks thought he would. Well, you know, he's he's a big piece of that defense. Like he was a major signing. You let Nadamikin Sue go, so you could sign Akeem Hicks there. And right now, yeah, he's not out there. So, just like you said, the Bucks took a gamble on, especially two guys. And I mean, Julio. The thing about him, like. Yeah, like, he was going to be the wide receiver four, though. Like, I think they took a bigger gamble with Hicks because they knew Hicks was going to be a big piece of that defense. You know, Vita Vea's partner right next to him in the middle there, going to be playing a lot of snaps. Like, they also knew that Hicks is a good player when on the field, but he hasn't been on the field as much recently. And just like you said, you know, you take a gamble, and there's an alternate reality right now where both Hicks and and Jones are healthy and they look like their old selves. Uh, I don't think... Neither Hicks or Jones have lost the ability to play football. It's just that they they their bodies have just worn down right now, and it's not going to get any better really. So, hopefully, you know the Bucks by late December, early January can be as healthy as possible with Hicks and Jones in the fold here. Um, it's not killing them as much with Jones because, like I said. Chris Godwin's back now. Mike Evans is there. Russell Gage, even though he's been dealing with some stuff, he's there. So, I mean, that's your three. Like, as long as, like, none of those other three go down, like, you should be fine there. Um, but Hicks is the one that, that is disappointing. And um, I agree with you. Logan Ryan was definitely the, their, their best free agent acquisition so far. Um, and now it's looking like a guy who they signed in August, really only because uh, of an injury that had happened in the preseason. So, um yeah, it, it's crazy how the free agent class has turned out for them. I mean, Kyle Rudolph has been a healthy scratch most of the time. I know he's most likely just depth, but still, I mean, yeah, the free agency class for Tampa has has not looked uh, not looked great. Let's talk about Russell Gage for a minute. One of the more expensive free agent options for Tampa last offseason. I mean, he's been out there. Don't get me wrong. He's registered catches. You know, when he got targeted last week, it seemed like he was able to make some of the plays except for the drop in the end zone that a lot of people talk about. But aside from battling injury, you know, where is he at? Do you you think this $10 million man for Tampa Bay is going to show up between now and the end of the season? Also, just shout out to our good buddy James Hill, a.k.a. Mr. Bucks Nation, $10 Super Chat says, let's go, boys. Pleasure to hear from you. But what's going on with Russell Gage, Matt? Yeah, I truly don't think that he's 100%. 
Uh, you know, he he got he got hurt in uh, in training camp right before the joint practice with the Titans. And I just I honestly just don't think he's really recovered ever since then. He looks slow out there. And I'm telling you, at training camp and you guys were there like he was balling out at training camp. He was making great plays up until that hamstring injury. And, you know, even the receptions he's making, like he's averaging like he's only like five yards down the field when he's making these catches. They've been a lot more. And maybe that's a microcosm of the Bucks' offense because they haven't really had the explosive 20, 25 yard plays. But every time Gage gets the ball, it's only like five yards down the field. We're not seeing that explosiveness from Russell Gage that we've really wanted to see. So I really hate to say it, but right now he's just a guy that they overpaid for. He's not their wide receiver number three. And you mentioned before that Julio is supposed to be that wide receiver number four. And I agree. That's what we all thought going in. But that Dallas game, Julio was a lot more of the number three than Russell Gage really was. And then Julio got hurt. So Russell Gage was the de facto three. And he really hasn't had an impact on the game except for the Packers game. Obviously, he scored the late touchdown. Uh, that was his best game, and he looked hobbled every single time he got up. But you know what? Mike Evans was suspended. Chris Godwin wasn't available for that game, so they really didn't have any other options. Right now, he's just an overpaid guy. I hope it changes, but again, he's dealing with like a lingering hamstring injury, which doesn't get healthy overnight. So I don't, I don't love what I see right now with Russell Gage. Yeah, I, I think Gage is a guy who you're really hoping, you know, after the bye week, week 11, you're hoping can kind of, rest up and and maybe get back you know to normal for a stretch run because i agree he doesn't look completely healthy and and the hamstring has really there was some doubt whether he was even going to play week one like, like yeah. there was some serious doubt there and um yeah I, I don't think you know when you when you watch the the tape the issue isn't really getting open it's just sometimes the ball doesn't get to him i keep bringing up that you know while it was a touchdown to Rashad Prayman in the, in the new orleans game gage was wide open and there wasn't a, a corner or any defender 10 or 15 yards near him um there was actually something that came out for from nfl next gen stats uh this week that was wide receivers that create the most separation in 2022 like per yards Russell Gage is ninth on that list with 3.7 yards of separation. So like he's getting like the separation, like he's getting open at times. He's just not getting the ball. And right now, you know, like separation is great, but that's not why the bucks are paying you $10 million. Like they're, they're not paying you that just to get separation. They're paying you so they can have, they don't have to rely on Mike Evans and Chris Godwin the whole time. You know, when the bucks had Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, like, it was almost impossible to stop this offense. And we saw it at times, like the offense would go down five, six plays. And it was like, okay, there's a completion there. There's a completion there, completion there to Evans, Godwin Brown. There's one to Gronk. There's one to Bray. And then, Oh, touchdown right now. It's just, it's not like that. And I think gauge being unproductive right now in his role is really hurting them. And, and I think, his role has been weird to me. Like, just like you said, whenever he gets the ball, it's like he's like a check down option almost. And it, mm. I, I think, and I don't know if it's a hamstring or not. We're not in the building, but um, I think you, you would like to see him have a little bit more explosive plays. He, he showed that at times in Atlanta. And I think he, he has it in him, just like, you know, you said in training camp, 
there were some days he was like their best receiver in, in training camp. And um, I still am holding out a little bit of hope for Gage this year, but I don't think it's going to be coming until he gets, you know, like I said, they play Baltimore week eight. Then they have the, the mini buy right with 10 days rest against the, the, the Rams. And then they have the bye week a few weeks later. So I think if, if anything, I think you could see Gage maybe be a little bit healthier dur- during, you know, late November and the, the whole month of December early. It's such a shame uh, the way the Antonio Brown situation turned out. Listen, I know at this point, hindsight's twenty twenty. Jokes on us for expecting any different, but like the Bucks have been in the hunt for a consistent, competent third wide receiver ever since that fateful day. Um, you he know, against still, the Jets, he would still be he would probably still be on the team like now. He'd still be here. playing. So, like, he he'd still, still be, be playing great team. football. Like that. That's yeah. the problem, and that's what makes me so pumped out. Which, and which, I mean, is, which is crazy that like him and Julio Jones are basically the same age, and they like Antonio Brown just like avoided the injury bug and like look yeah. how productive he is. Well, I mean, he missed a lot of games last season. Oh, he yeah, did, you know the foot, yeah, the reasons. foot, you know. <laughs> The, the foot injury, but uh, let's talk about the defensive side of the football here on the second half of this game preview. We had mentioned it before. I wanted to start uh, talking about the defensive line this week. We mentioned the absence of Akeem Hicks, and you know, I also wanted to get your take, Matt, on what's going on with Vita Vea because he's been a topic of discussion so far this year. You know, Vita Vea just got paid, and uh, quite frankly, this season he does not look like the player the Buccaneers decided to hand the bag over to. Stuff like that can happen, especially with the absence of Indomitian Sue and with Akeem Hicks not being out there. Maybe you can point the finger at that and say that he hasn't been capable. But Vita Vea, this defensive line, you know, what are they going to have to do well this week? Because not only are they playing a bad offensive line in Carolina, they're playing P.J. Walker, who is a shifty quarterback and, and could cost them a couple of sacks this week if it gets to that point. But first and foremost, what do you think's going on with Vita Vea? For Vita, I think one thing that is tough to measure is that he's really learning about how to become a leader of this team. It doesn't it's not something you could just flip like a switch. Like, let's remember, like he was a team captain this year and he did get that big contract. And, you know, it's been one thing where he's really had defensive linemen take him under his wing, whether it was Will Golson or Dominican Sue. And now that Sue's not in there, who's really supposed to? you know, hold Vita Vea accountable. And I think Vita, he's picked it up the past couple of games, but I think it's it's really just been inconsistency for Vita. Where's that guy that it takes three offensive linemen to block you, what, what it felt like at some points? I mean, he's not gaining any traction in the trenches along the defensive line. I think that's why you've seen the run game really uh, suffer because of it. So I think they're really missing... You know, the fact that Sue's not there just for like a little bit of attitude, you know, along that defensive, kind of like how the offense, the Bucs are really just missing attitude in general because Ryan Jensen brought that attitude. And Dominican Sue brought that attitude. JPP brought that attitude. And I'm fine with them not bringing back JPP because he had a lot of injuries and Joe Trianchenko was waiting in the wings. But what they really miss from JPP is that attitude, you know, that Mm -hmm. I'm going to go out there, I'm going to knock your quarterback's head off. You don't really see that as much right now. And I so I think Vita kind of needs someone to really get him going. And and we've seen it the past couple of weeks. I'm sure he's heard the criticism uh, a little bit. But, you know, as far as going up against the Panthers, I just want to see the Bucs stay aggressive. Uh, their one Achilles heel right now has been allowing points on the opening drive. And that's the last thing they need for this game. I said it before, wrote about it, too, in our preview and prediction. You don't want to give the Panthers a glimmer of hope Mm -hmm. that they have a chance in this game. So you can't let them score a touchdown on that opening drive and say, hey, 
We we got an opportunity now. I mean, PJ Walker threw for 60 yards last yes. week in a full game. In a full game. Like he didn't come in at halftime. A full game. So I'm not as worried about the Bucks defense as I am the offense. You know, they're still top 10 in, you know, yards allowed and and turnovers and sacks. So the, th- the third long is going to be a little bit. That, well, so that's <laughs> that's the thing is they're in last place yeah. in uh, in third down percentage. And that goes back to the situational football. So they obviously have to clean that up. But if they stay aggressive, I feel good that against a woeful Panthers team, they can get it together because the defense has won them a lot of games. And I think at least again for this week, they're going to have to win them this game as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm not expecting a you know an offensive juggernaut from the Bucks. So I, I think that yeah, the defense and you know with the one thing that they didn't do against Atlanta, the one thing they didn't do against Pittsburgh, and I think partially the reason that both those games were as close as they were, and obviously the, another big reason why Pittsburgh was a loss, they haven't come up with a turnover. Um, they they yeah. haven't had a turnover the past two games, and they got close in Pittsburgh. Like, like they they did get close. Delaney, mean, uh. so close. And I mean, I think the Bucks probably win that game if the Bucks recover that fumble. But um, you know, that was like mostly Pittsburgh's fault. Like that wasn't anything the Bucks really forced. So uh, I, I think you're gonna see a pretty aggressive defense. And uh, I mean. If this, if this defense gives up anything, you know, like over 20 points or even over 17 points of this Panthers offense, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, it, it's bad, right? And, like, they're, they're trading away pieces. Like, they've given up. Like, and obviously, like, the players aren't going to sit there and say, oh, well, I guess, yeah, we'll stop playing. Like, no, like, you're a professional football player. Like, you're not going to do that. You're going to try to win. But, like, it's clear, like, their morale and everything has to be so low right now. And and now they're seeing their buddies get shipped away and a lot of talent leaving their team on specifically on the offensive side of the ball where they were already really struggling. <laughs> they're, wa- so, they're watching it during games. Robbie Anderson yeah. <laughs> getting in a shouting coach with his head coach. I mean, that, that was it. You know what I mean? That was him negotiating the trade to let them know, Hey, I'm, I'm going to yeah. be out of here. Yeah. It's just, you know, right now they're just, they're so far down in the dumps. And just like Matt said, you can't, I mean, you got to step on their throats early. You know, after the first quarter, it's got to be 10 nothing, 14 nothing. It, it's got to be something like that. You know, at halftime, you got to be up 14, 17 points. And, so, you know, so the Panthers are sitting there in the locker room saying, oh, here we go again. You know, not saying, oh, man, if we make this play, we're going to be right back in this game. So um, I, I do agree that I think the defense needs to have that killer instinct. And, and right now, so far this season, they've had it at times. They had yep. it in New Orleans. And they had it repeatedly in Dallas, like, and even against Green Bay. Besides Green Bay, the they were great. Drives, they didn't allow points yeah. in the second half. Exactly. You know, they couldn't really yeah. do much more. Like, you know, and like the opening drive stuff. Yeah, they've they've allowed a point on every single opening drive, like like to start you know the 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 season. So, um, you know, and it's it, it's hurt them. And the first two games, it was field goals. Now they're starting to turn to touchdowns that, that teams are scoring uh, on opening drives. So, um, you know, it, it's it's. Well, I guess I, I don't think Atlanta didn't score one, right? Because Atlanta didn't score no. a little bit. But, um, so I was wrong there. But, yeah, five out of six. Uh, still not a good ratio. Yeah, still not a good. And the Kansas City one, look, you're starting with the ball, the yeah. other 25, like whatever. But uh, I just think, yeah, the defense needs to be aggressive. They need to come out. They need to get turnovers. Uh, this Panthers offensive line is improved, but it's still not great. And it's something that the Bucks should definitely take advantage of with a lot of their matchups. So what is the measuring stick coming into this week with Tampa Bay? Because, you know, we can talk about 
if the Bucs win against Carolina, you know, they can win an ugly game, but that's certainly not going to win a lot of people over at this point in the season. When you're four and three and you struggle to beat a one and five um, or I guess a one and six Panthers team in this situation, people aren't going to be too happy about it. But what do the Bucs need to do this week, Evan, you know, to leave you with the impression that, hey, this team can still turn it around, whether it's on the offensive side of the ball or the defense kind of finding a rhythm and, and getting more consistent what do they have to do to this bad team? Because I know you said it's not going to be an offensive explosion, so maybe they're not going to beat them by 28. But what do they need to do this Sunday to kind of leave you with that feeling of, of hey, they can eventually fix this and, and they're on the right track? Yeah, I think you just you need to see more on the offensive side of the ball, specifically just like we talked about earlier, situations um, in the red zone. Just like Matt said, do you have to be four for four in the red zone? No. like, But three for four? even two for four, like even converting two touchdowns and, you know, 14 points right there. Like that would be a positive. Um, I, I think, you know, the third and ones, the, the, the fourth and ones, I think those small things, even if you don't put up a lot of points, if you're improving on areas such as the red zone and the short yarded situations, uh, I think that would be a positive sign that, Hey, maybe they are starting to, to get it, you know, together a little bit more. Um, as far as the defense, like, I mean, the pass rush rushing four uh, to me, because the Bucks, I mean, they're still one of the highest in the league. I don't think they're the highest anymore in sacks, but they were like for a while, they were like pretty high up there in sacks in the NFL for a defense. And um, I, they need, they've been fine, but like their issue is they can't, get consistent pressure with just four and we saw that in pittsburgh last week the third and 16 they rushed four trubisky had all day to throw the third and 11 they rushed four trubisky was able to roll out and find chase claypool for the game clincher uh and that comes back to that killer instinct a third down sack right there a third and 16 sack for a loss of five like if the bucks are getting the ball almost at midfield right there um so i think uh rushing four and it's something that we've talked about a bunch on this podcast really ever since Todd Bowles got here uh, because of how, you know, blitz happy he can be, especially when, you know, you're only rushing, you know, five or six and you're getting success there. But when we saw in the Rams game last year, blitzing is not a recipe that's always going to be successful. And I think it puts your defense in some dangerous situations and not necessarily for this game, but like for the rest of the season, I would like to see if they can get consistent pressure this week with just rushing four guys. So, I mean, Shaq Barrett has been pretty disappointed the last few weeks. And I think he's, he's the guy on that defensive line that you have to be looking at right now. You're trying to has played decent the last few weeks, but I think Shaq Barrett is the other guy besides Vita Vea. I think Shaq Barrett's the other guy that you got to really, he's got to play better. And I think this, it could start this week in Carolina. Yeah, I think with Shaq, you know, he only has two sacks and they both came in that New Orleans yeah. game. And I do think he's had some good rushes where it's opened things up, like when DJ and Sanat got a sack and a, couple, mm-hmm. and a couple of the other guys. But at the end of the day, you paid Shaq Barrett that money for his contract uh, to get sacks against the quarterback. I will say Shaq is a very streaky pass yeah. rusher. I mean, you I, go back I, to I his... Brought, I brought that exact word up on the last show. Yep. Yeah, well, I asked... Um, We spoke with Casey Rogers, the co-defensive coordinator. I asked him, like, are you surprised that Shaq only has two sacks? And he's like, yeah, but he's a very streaky player. You go back to his 19-and-a-half sack season. I mean, he was having, like, two games in a row where he'd get a hat trick of sacks. So I think Shaq just needs that first one, and then the door will be knocked down um, after that. But in general, for the Bucks, man... 
a couple of things I want to see. One, I want to see a complete game. In all the Bucks wins, we have not seen a complete game of football yet, especially like that Falcons game. You know, the offense finally looked good, and then the defense let them right back in because the offense had three straight three and outs, you know? So they just haven't played that complimentary, complete game of football. I want to see the Bucks offense score a freaking touchdown in the first half, man. Yeah. They refused to score until after halftime, and that's really been a huge deal. And I'm throwing out the Kansas City game because you were down 21 to three. So you were in desperation mode. You had to throw it everywhere. But after that, they're not even making it remotely competitive in the first half. So I want to see them at least score one touchdown in the first half because they really haven't done that too much. And then by the third quarter, middle of the third quarter, I want to see at least a turnover by the Bucs defense. And we talked about just giving the Panthers no glimmer of hope with like, how would I feel good about the Bucs? At no point from the middle of the third quarter on, do I want to see the Panthers within a one possession game? Mm-hmm. I don't even want in the back of my head or any Bucks fans heads being like, oh man, like, If they don't get this third down here, the Panthers are going to get the ball and they have a chance to take the lead right here. That absolutely cannot happen because that means they failed in their goal to, uh, you know, completely just massacre them and make sure that they have no chance. So that's really what I'm looking for for the Bucs. Just a complete game where you have control and you don't relinquish it for the whole game. I agree. I mean, over the last two seasons, this Panthers team is uh, some of the Bucks have dominated, right? I yeah. mean, they are 4-0 with Tom Brady as quarterback, and they are in worse shape than they ever have been coming into this matchup. So there should be no excuses from Tampa Bay. Before we get into the game picks, we have one more thing I wanted to mention. Our buddy Adam from Bucks UK was in the chat. He wanted to ask us a question about special teams. So aside from Ryan Suckup, what is going on with the special teams unit? The well, Buccaneers made the, the decision. Way. Ryan Suckup is the best player on this team. So oh, I know. He's the, I, no, he's the MVP. Yeah, That's yeah. what Ryan Suckup No, 100% team MVP <laughs> thus far this season. But the Buccaneers made the decision to move on from a friend of the show, the people's champ, Bradley Pinion. He gets shipped off to Atlanta. He's having one of the best seasons of his career so far. And, yeah. and people seem to be a little underwhelmed uh, by rookie kicker Jake Camarda. What's going on in that department? Do you think Camarda is going to get better? You know, is this rookie fatigue that we're seeing? But. I mean, people are worried about the special teams unit so far. Yeah, I think he'll get better. I mean, would I like to see a couple more touchbacks on the kickoffs? Yeah, I would. Punting-wise, I think he's been he's solid. Been yeah, been and, you know, the, the preseason itself, we were majorly concerned about the, you know, the overall punt and kick coverage and because it, it was bad in the preseason. And then they... It looked like they had turned things around and then the Steelers, uh, you know, take yeah, the opening yeah, kickoff. 89 yards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, they got to clean that up. They have Zion McCollum in there now, who's obviously he has that 4-3 speed. He, he's pretty quick, even though it was Jamel Dean that ran down the, Hustle, you yeah. know, the returner. It wasn't even, it wasn't even McCollum. So, I don't know, punt coverage wise, I, I think they're actually pretty solid. D Delaney is a, a solid you know, Gunner going down the field. They've thrown Scotty Miller in there. So they're moving things around. Kickoff obviously has to be cleaned up, but maybe if more touchbacks get involved there, then, you know, that that uh, helps out. I want to see something with the return game, though. I was like, I was kind of backing Jalen Darden for a little bit, but, I mean, he just had a dreadful performance against the Steelers. He's afraid to go up the middle. He's, he loves the side. No one loves anything what's, more than Jalen Darden loves the sideline. And what's funny about Darden, too, is that 
you know, people have complained about his efficiency so far this year, but this has been one of his most productive years. It was way better. Returner. He's it great. Was, he's graded yeah. out pretty well among NFL returners. Like he's been better than average this year. Well, he was better than last year, but last year was abysmal because he was on roller skates and he just couldn't. The thing I want to see with Jalen Darden more than anything else is why is he the punt returner? Because he's fast. He's one of the fastest players on this team. So use your speed. He does this thing when he's not going to the sideline where as soon as the first defender is at him, he like stops and then decides to make a move instead of just continuing to run and then just kind of like sway one way or the other. Use your speed because you're you're fast enough where you're going to make a guy miss just because the law of averages of, you know, two things coming at you. He stops and that lets the guy like wrap him up and he's not going to break tackles through physicality and force because he's a he's a smaller player. So use that speed, you know, make a quick cut. Don't stop and try to spin and like do these things because you're not breaking tackles that way. You just have to rely on your speed and finding the open space. And he hasn't done that too much. Yeah, I've I've been a, a Jalen Darn supporter for a while. And yeah, I mean, just seems so hesitant in Pittsburgh to either. I mean, even field the punt. Like, I mean, there was yeah. some that he just let bounce and it really hurt the Bucks in field position. And then when he did return them, I mean, like you said, there was a there was one return. I remember he went to the sideline. But if he would have gone, just tried to go around the, like this one, like Steelers gunner that was right there. He if he got by him, he could have had a 15 or 20 yard return and he just didn't take it. So, like, he's not being nearly aggressive enough. And, and I do think that it's hurting the Bucks in field position. It really is. And that's why Jalen Darn is on this team. He's not on this team to be a productive wide receiver. He's on this team to be the punt returner. And right now he's not doing a good job. So, um, you know, again, it seems like this is an issue that the Bucks have had forever. They thought they solved it with drafting Darden. I mean, they traded up in the fourth round to get this guy in mm-hmm. 2021. And that's how much they wanted to have this thing solved. And it just, it, it hasn't worked. So, I mean, hopefully, you know, he can come out and, and, and do something. Um, actually week seven, it's week seven this week, week seven last year, was actually the best return of his career against Chicago. Uh, almost took it to the house. The Bucks converted into a touchdown a few plays later. So hopefully we can maybe get a repeat of that because you want to talk about like momentum and stuff like that could be a big momentum thing. You know, the Bucks, the Panthers get the ball first, the Bucks defense gets them three and out Panthers punt Jalen Darden takes it down to the 10 and the Bucks punch it in. I mean, you want to talk about, and just like you said, Matt, you want to talk about having the Panthers with no chance, right? Like, yeah, you just got scored on five minutes into the game. Hmm. So I, I think Darden definitely has to be better. And he's hurt him in more ways than, than one, especially with an offense that's struggling to move the chains already. Um, he, he's definitely hurting them there. Before we wrap things up with our picks this week, I want to remind everybody listening right now that this Sunday in Ybor City, Berry House Beer Company, it is the first of our two Cannon Fire watch parties for 2022. We're going to be out there at noon. Exclusive food and drink specials. We'll have Jimmy's Tacos out there. Some exclusive delivery specials. They're right around the corner from where we're going to be at. So more information on site, but it should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to getting that up and going for the uh, second year in a row. We'll be out there before the game going live on YouTube, and then we will be live immediately following the game, just like we always are right here on YouTube.com forward slash Cannon Fire Podcast. I will be joined by Evan Wanish and uh, James Hill, Mr. Bucks Nation. Too cool to go this year, but that's all right. Maybe we can catch him at the next one in November uh, for Tampa Bay versus Cleveland. But let's get into our picks this week brought to you by BetOnline.ag. 
Bucks and Panthers, October 23rd, 1 p.m. kickoff. The Buccaneers, 13-point favorites. I, I looked at the, that line at first. 13 now? Yeah, I saw I, it at 11 at one point. I, I think it's – I've got it on the lines.com right here, and it's up to 13. It could be different now, but I'm, I, I was kind of surprised. You know what I mean? Just because I, I know the Bucks have owned Carolina these last couple of years, but that's still a lot of points to be favored by. But you know what? I'm going to go ahead and stick my neck out here. I'm taking Tampa Bay this week. I do think they cover. And um, over under is 39 and a half. I got the Buccaneers winning this one 27 to 10. So just under that, I would take the under. But uh, what do you got, Matt? What's your pick for this week? Yeah, so I, I do think the Bucs are going to win, but I think they are going to reluctantly win where the offense continues to struggle and, you know, the defense leads the way for a win, kind of like what I talked out, talked about before, multiple sacks, a turnover or two. Um, so I, I do think the Bucs win. I believe I had them getting the victory 21 to 10, which would not cover the 13-point spread, but nonetheless – I do have the Bucs winning, getting back on track. I mean, the Panthers are just that bad that no matter how much the Bucs are struggling, there's still no excuse for them to uh, to lose this game. So I, I say the Bucs win. Yeah, the, the tough thing for me is, like, there was no excuse to lose the Pittsburgh game. Yeah. You know, like, like that. that's the thing. Um, I do think the Bucs win. Uh, however, I do think it's a – I think it's very similar to the Atlanta game. Like, I do think the Bucs could maybe build a lead and then, like, one or two plays go Carolina's way, and you're like, really? But I think at the end of the day, like, the defense closes the door with, like, a turnover or a, a sack on fourth down or something. Um, so I think the Bucs win, uh, I think, 21 to 14. Um, maybe that, like I said, maybe the Panthers score. It's 21 to 7. The Panthers score with, like, three minutes left in the fourth quarter, something like that to make it a little bit closer. But – I, I don't expect this offense to go up and down the field. Uh, it's just not that I, 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 I can't have much confidence because of what I saw last week. Like what, what we saw the rest, like earlier in the season was concerning. And then it really, it reared its ugly head in, in Pittsburgh. And I, I think the difference though, between Pittsburgh and Carolina, Pittsburgh is still one of the best coach teams in the NFL. Mike Tomlin is one of the best coaches in the NFL. I, I thought they were going to come prepared to play. Um, and I just don't know if you could say the same for Carolina. Carolina is in much more disarray right now. I think the Bucs need to take advantage of it because, I mean, this is – it's crazy to say this is a must-win game. I mean, you lose this football <laughs> game, and, I mean, we could be talking about missing the playoffs here because even though the NFC South is weak, this is just a game that you absolutely under no circumstances can lose. You just can't. You have a, a prime opportunity to go to 3-0 and in the division, 2-0 um, and on the road in the division. I mean, that's a big thing as well. So uh, I think the Bucs have to take advantage. And luckily, I, I do think they do, even though it won't be as pretty as some Bucs fans may want it to be. Well, they call me the eternal optimist for a reason, and both of you guys have the Bucks winning the game this week, but not really winning anyone else over in the process. So it'll be interesting to see if the Buccaneers can clean up a lot of those execution errors this week that we saw on the field against Pittsburgh, but it should be a good game regardless. With all of that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that's just about going to do it for this week's game preview edition of the Cannon Fire podcast. Big shout out to our buddy Matt Matera from pewterreport.com for jumping on the show with us this week and breaking this one down. Matt, where can the people find you and your awesome content? Yeah, you could see all of my work at pewterreport.com. You could follow me on Twitter at Maddie 4 underscore Matera. That's M-A-T-E-R-A. And uh, yeah, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, Pewter Report TV, and uh, all of our social media at Pewter Report. 
Follow our show on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those are Cannon Fire Podcast. Best place to go for updates on the show and, of course, Tampa Bay Buccaneer news as it happens. Speaking of Bucks news as it happens, you can follow my co-host Evan on Instagram at Bucks underscore daily, number one Buccaneers fan page on Instagram. You can also find him on Twitter at EvanNFL. Check out his written work at BucksNation.com. You got anything in the hopper this week, Evan? Uh, yeah, I started the uh, the stock up, stock down uh, series that I was going to start. And uh, the first article should be out now. So check it out on, on BucksNation.com. And uh, also we put out our, our preview and, and predictions uh, today with a couple of predictions. So hopefully they were pretty much all wrong uh, last week. So hopefully this week they, they can be a, a bit uh, closer. Last but not least, you can find myself Instagram and Twitter at Redicus, R-H-E-T-T-A-K-U-S. If you follow me, I will follow you back. Big shout out once again to our buddy Matt Matera from Pewter Report for jumping on the show this week. I am your host, Rhett Matthew, signing off for my co-host, Evan Wanish and Matt Matera. We'll catch you Sunday after the game right here, youtube.com forward slash Cannon Fire podcast. We'll talk to you in the next one. Until then, and as always, thanks for watching and go Bucks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.